This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 181 of the Laravel News Podcast. Stoked to have you joining us on the air here. And uh, today, we are going to skip the idle chitter-chatter, which I know you all love. But I'm just going to suffice it to say that Michael's hair is even more blonde than it was last time, less rainbow. And my hair is still the same color brown. So, you know, representative of our lives. Boring. I have special plans. Special plans for our work Christmas party. Ooh. Are you going to go like crazy color? Are you going to go like just going to dye it all red or something wild? Well... You'll find out. All right. I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see. We have got some releases, some news, some packages, and lots of tutorials because Steve McDougal is like the tutorial master. He, he's just cranking them out. I don't know how he does it. Don't know how he does it. Yeah. Don't so, know where the energy so, comes from. It's so amazing. shout out. Yeah, I know. With like the six kids and stuff too. I don't know. It's crazy. Crazy. Uh, but shout out Steve McDougal uh, slash Steve King. And shout out Honey Badger for sponsoring the show today. So Honey Badger is error tracking, monitoring, and lots of other really cool stuff for your Laravel apps and any other apps you have as well. We're going to be talking about them a little bit later in the show. But for now, let's jump into our releases, Laravel 9.40. This was released on November 16th or somewhere right around there, number 15th probably. There's a new lottery utility class, validation rules, asserting a redirect to a named route, and more. So let's start with that lottery utility class. Tim McDonald, your fellow Aussie over there, contributed a lottery support class that can be used in various settings, such as randomizing data sampling, failure reports, etc. So here's the basic API. You have lottery and then double colon odds, which you pass in one comma tens, the lower range, the upper range, and then you say choose. And so in this case, it returns a true in the case that that lottery odd returns win or false in the case that it returns loss. So you can say, uh, so that that's just returns a Boolean for you. So lottery odds choose just returns a Boolean. And then you have lottery odds, we'll say lottery double colon odds, one comma 10 as your arguments. Then you can pass a, like, do chain onto this is a fluent interface. You can say winner and then pass into closure. So do this thing if it wins. Loser, closure, do this thing if it loses, and then choose. So you basically set it up, you give it the odds, you say, here's what to do if it wins, here's what to do if it loses, and then you call the choose method and it will go ahead and execute that. So where would you use this, you might say? So here's a few Laravel specific examples from the pull request. Uh, where the lottery could be used in tandem with other Laravel features. And the example that's given here, the lottery chain uh, of calls returns a callable instance, which you can then register as a handler in various Laravel events. So randomly sample, so we don't flood our error handler. So you can say, if you have like a long running query, so not too long ago, there was something introduced called when querying for longer than, so you can attach this to your database. So DB double colon when querying for longer than, and then you pass in an a interval. So you can say when it's been longer than two seconds. Uh, then what you can do is you can say lottery, one out of every 100 uh, database queries like that, that happen. Then you just pass a arrow winner. And on that function, you can say report 
the the fact that it took longer than two seconds, right? So that's kind of interesting. So you basically are saying every time that there is a database query that runs for longer than two seconds, one out of every 100 of those should report that there was a problem so that you don't overflow or don't flood all of the, you have a certain allotment of errors that you can report to your error handler every month. And so instead of saying, let's uh, report all of them, it says if there's been more than, you know, randomly out of 100, if there's been if there's been 100 of them or more, then go ahead and report it in. Otherwise, don't worry about it. It's not not important. Mm-hmm. There is in this case, another one. So so there's another example here where it's it's a similar sort of idea. Handle lazy loading violations. Uh, so this is another thing that we do, which is like a sort of safety feature in Laravel where you can say, in the case that we are lazy loading, um, whether it's accidental or whatever you might have, you could report those one out of every you know, in this case, in the, he's using one out of every 5,000 time that that, that, that happens, uh, go ahead and report a new lazy loading violation exception. So you get notified that these things are happening, but if it happens, it doesn't just like all of a sudden start spiking your, um, your mm. error monitoring service. So that's kind of cool. Really interesting. So anyway, that's, that's what it is. The lottery uh, class. So lottery utility class. Interesting. Thanks, Tim. All right. We've also got eloquent model observers listed in the model show command. So we have had the artisan uh, commands all sort of revamped, lots of new artisan commands that you can use. Uh, Model show is one of those. And so Mike Healy contributed an update to the model show command that lists any model observers that you have wired up for a given model. So if you said model show, and then you said users, it would show you any wired up model observers for that particular model class. It also handles multiple observers attached to the same model action. Listing observers is really helpful to quickly find listed observers for a model without having to hunt around for them in service provider calls. Yeah. So that could be really helpful. Yeah, yeah that's that's super handy. Those, you know, we've spoken about that in the past where I don't particularly like those kinds of things because unless unless you're using them all the time or you've got some documented convention of how you're using them, they can go missing, you know, and things can Things can happen in your code that that are a bit harder to track down, especially if you're doing like that event based event based kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So nice that it's just on that model show. That model show command, if you haven't used it before, by the way, shows you all the relationships, shows you all the observers, shows you any of the like columns that you have in the database for that, as well as what they're being cast to. Really, really nice. Okay, Tim McDonald has another contribution here: lowercase and uppercase validation rules. So Tim contributed a lowercase validation rule, which enforces that the validated input is lowercase. Uh, so this could be useful when you don't want to change the info on the user to lowercase silently, but you want to ensure that they answer only lowercase. So for example, an input to create a database user, uh, but force the user to make it all lowercase, then you just have you just add the lowercase one, right? So uh, along those same lines, Michael Nabil contributed an uppercase validation rule, which ensures the given input is in all uppercase letters, if you might have guessed, as you might have guessed on that one. All right, Zahir Gahibe contributed an assert redirect to route method, which you can use to assert that a response is redirected to a given named route. So I do this all the time where I say this, get, and then you pass in a route and say, hey, I want to go to this place and I want to assert redirect to. Typically what I'd say is uh, I would just inside of there say, you know, use my route helper and then name the route. But now you don't have to do that because you have assert redirect to route, which then you just pass in the name of the named route and it will go ahead and assert that it is being sent there. So nice little bit of sugar for you if you're using those in your tests. 
Uh, Niels contributed a save many quietly method for saving multiple models quietly for belongs to many and has one or many relationships. So what this will do is it will save, update those things without firing events, I believe is kind of how that works. That's sort of the wording that I believe gets used when we are trying to do something without firing events uh, is to do it quietly. Softly, I think mm-hmm. if we update softly, whatever that was like, if we said it without updating timestamps or something like that, I think that was in the last change that we had. There was like, you remember that? Yeah, I think I recall it. I, yeah. I recall something about it. Yeah. Yeah, it was in 9.39, I think. So any case, that's it. That's 9.40. I will look up that ni- that other one I was talking about just to uh, loop back on that one. But uh, that's 9.40. All right, my man, you got that's- 9.39 or 9.41. Mm-hmm. No, not for one. Uh, Michael Nabil is back with a couple of different uh, changes in this one. The first is only trashed database validation role. This is a condition for database exists and unique database rules. This will validate the database against soft deleted rows only, which is handy. Saves you having to chain on, you know, where and doing the deleted at yourself. So that is extremely useful. The other one is uh, rule builder convenience method. So these are some convenience methods for images, enums, dimensions, and unique validation rules. So before we'd have to do file colon colon default, you can do rule colon colon file as a method on that. So rather than having to import multiple rule facades or rule classes to do this, you can do this directly from the the rule class itself as a static method call. So just some options there for you. Next up at PHH contributed a when missing method to the request object that will be called when the input is missing. So this allows you to kind of chain using a fluent interface on the request object, some some behaviors. So, you know, request when missing name, um, and then you can pass the value back in as a um, as a reference, and then you can set this within, your, within the context of that callback method. So you can accept the default callable as well if the key is not missing. To, to handle some alternative behaviors there as well. So check that one out if that is something that you might find useful. And lastly here, Nagesh Tiwari and Tim McDonald contributed the ability to customize the Vite manifest file name. So this allows you to use Vite colon colon use manifest file name and then provide it a c- custom name as the method argument. And then in Blade, you can use Vite use manifest file name as well and then specify your own custom entry points. Hmm, so nice. check that out if that's something that you've felt the need to do in your code. That is that is it for 9.41. Okay, 9.42 comes with the new Singleton route resource, conditional report helpers, and more. So the Singleton one uh, has been kind of uh, a hot topic a little bit here recently on the Twitters. So we're going to talk a little bit about it. There is some really good documentation, uh, which I would suggest you go and read. But once again, the Aussies over on that side killing things, Jess Archer, Jess Archer, that's my really bad Australian accent, uh, contributed a route singleton method to register routes for singleton resources. So what this is, is are resources that are either one of one or zero of one resources. For example, a profile endpoint. So, you know, sometimes what you'd have in this case is if you have a user which has a profile you might be tempted to call a route that would be myapp.com slash user slash one slash profile, right? So that says, give me the user that's currently logged in. That's user one me slash profile. So give me the profile that's attached to user one. You could do that. 
But this basically gives you an alternative, right? So if you said route singleton profile, uh, you now would then have a profile controller class. And in this case, it's going to define a, uh, it, just like a resource route defines uh, like five different, uh, four or five, what is it, four? Create, store, edit, update, destroy, five. So typically it would destroy, it would create five. Um, this one creates, uh, and I guess it does actually create five in this case. Sorry, folks, St stick with me here. It does create five, but the what it does is it creates a slash profile, slash profile edit, uh, a put patch method for slash profile, and then a delete for slash profile. Um, you could also have a nested singleton resource, uh, which is, oh boy. This is going to be tough reading this on air. Okay, folks, here's here's my suggestion for you. And, th and then I'll, I'll say this for, uh, here's what I'll say for what Taylor said as well. Some people were on, on Twitter, kind of what it was is people were like, why are we using the word singleton? Isn't that confusing for people? Like basically what Taylor said is, I never had anybody read the docs and then come back confused about what this was. Only people concerned that others would be confused by the word singleton. So what I'm going to encourage you to do here is I'm going to encourage you to go read the docs for this. Mm -hmm. It'll, you know, it, it's sim this is similar to a route double colon resource, but it's not, it's, it's not. So like typically if you were, if you were to do that, it would be profiles, I think is the, is the route method that would get created or the route um, names that would get created, right? I think, well, I think the key differentiator here is that the singleton is intended to be used when the resource has only one, like the, the, the resource would only ever exist once. So a user would have a profile or a photo may have a thumbnail, but there's never a situation where it would have multiple thumbnails or a user would never have multiple profiles, multiple right. Profiles, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, you know, a singleton resource is... Is it's one, never going to have like um, a. It's never going to have like a slash, one yeah, slash two one, slash three. One and only instance of the resource may exist, and so in these scenarios, you can register a singleton resource controller. So it just it just handles that that for you. So you have like a one to one relationship where you have like a user with a profile relationship, mm. um, or a video with a thumbnail relationship. But like you said, that video is only going to have one thumbnail. I mean, yeah. I could see that one falling apart. You could have more than one thumbnail. I know that, that you know, like, for example, like YouTube, you can select from one of four thumbnails sort of deal, right? I mean, I could sure. see that. But. The, it, would, it would give you four to choose from, but there would only ever be one, you know? Okay, This sure. is the selected, the selected one, you know, that, that kind of thing. So, yeah. That's a good clarification. So, in any case, if it's something that you think you might want to use, which I, I would guess, I mean, I for sure have a couple of these in my applications, then, then you might just want to go read the docs. I think that'd probably be a really darn good idea. So a lot of talk about this one. Thanks, Jess Acha. And uh, sorry for my confusing explanation of that one, folks. Read the docs. Much better explanation on there. Added a REST option for QListen. So PHP Gus contributed a dash dash REST option to the QListen command. What this will do is it'll sleep for the number of seconds passed to REST. So QListen is what you're going to be running when you're going to want your queue worker to wait and listen for jobs to come in. Um, so allowing uh, this new option says sleep for five seconds or whatever you specify for it in between listening for jobs to come in. Okay, Michael Nabil contributed a is ULID 
method to the stringable class to check if a string is a valid, universally unique, lexicographical, sortable identifier. It's a ULID, U-L-I-D. So you can use that string is ULID and then pass it in. And if it is good, then it's true, right? So there you go. That's the helper. Okay. Michael Nabil also contributed two new conditional report helpers. These might be useful to shorten uh, locations where you report when a condition is true or false. So an example of like uh, using something, using this report function normally would be if you said, if somebody's trying to access a route and the user that's currently logged in is not an admin, then you could say report, somebody tried to access this route that wasn't an admin, right? You just, you just do that and it reports it to your error, error tracking service. You can also do report if, and then pass in uh, your truthy value as the first argument, and then whatever you're going to report as the second argument. This is sort of like abort if, or abort unless, but in this case, it's report if and report unless. So these are these two new helpers that have been created. Of course, they're optional. You can use them if you want. You don't have to. Uh, they're just nice little helpers if you if you end up using report. Uh, Andre Mihalik contributed a callback to resolve a custom mutex name of scheduled events. So when you have a when you have a scheduler running, you can tell it to run a scheduled command. And then you can say without overlapping. And so without overlapping, what that it does essentially is it says, when I'm running, I'm going to go ahead and tell the application I'm running by registering a mutex name for this scheduled command. And then when it comes to run through those scheduled commands again, it's going to grab that same mutex and it's going to see if it's running currently by looking wherever it's looking to determine if that if that thing is is running. Uh, and if it is, it won't, won't kick it off again. So in this case, what this is doing is allowing you to create your own mutex name using a custom callback. So uh, interesting, not totally sure why you'd want to do this unless for some reason you were looking at mutexes to see what ones were running and you wanted to give them like uh, readable names or something like that. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure why you'd want to do that, but, hmm. or, or maybe... Maybe depending on what server it is, you wanted to use a different mutex. Yeah. That, that'd be interesting. I mean, it could be used for monitoring, for example. You could sure. use set up something that checks to see if a file exists and if it's it's there for too long, you know, go and delete it. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of kind of interesting idea. Uh, so or it might be where you're having collisions between events where you've got the way I I mean, I don't I don't think it's likely that it would collide given the way that from memory that stuff works, but it's possible that there are some scenarios where that where that does happen. Sure, interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at this here, and it's looking at uh, the the suggestion was that they were going to give a they're going to make a SHA one of the description of the command that was being run through. So it'd be scheduled task dash SHA one of the description of the task. Mm, I just don't. Eh, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever, yeah, like you said, maybe there's maybe there's collisions with mutexes. I'm not sure why that would happen. Yeah, the, um, the PR. Well, the, here's the other thing: the PR that introduces is they were talking about how they uniquely identify scheduled tasks. So every task has its own UUID, and the UUID is different on every server every time to uh, identify specific runs of the task. Oh, okay. So because of that, they can't keep track of that task like that particular task ah uh, i see in the context of 
you know, keeping track of that that singular task because it the when the mutex is generated because of that ID, it's different all the time. So every time it runs, they can't track like this is that task that's running. So specifying, you know, create mutex name using with this new method allows them to have a consistent output at all times. Wow. It is so funny. Like there are so many people using Laravel out in the wild now and all of these considerations that nobody would ever think of, right? Well, we're running these commands on different servers, but we're using a different UAUID for every server. So we can't say without overlapping and on one server because then it doesn't work because we're using a different, it's like the mutex is different. So we have to define it manually. Wow. Mm-hmm. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. I, I honestly, and sometimes I'm surprised that like these things get merged. Like I'm surprised Taylor merges them. It's like, yeah, I get your use case, but it's so edge casey. I yeah. guess it just feels. But at the same time, you know, there's there's number of usages. I guess you know how many people would use this, but also if it's introducing you know two lines of code and right. it's not impacting True. on the rest of the code base and the yep. tests uh, are pretty solid, then you know there's no not necessarily a reason to to knock it back. Totally, you're right. Yep. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, it is fine. It is fine. And I'm really thankful that he's still willing to take in contributions like this. But does sometimes like, I don't know, you probably feel this way sometimes too. It's so hard to keep up with how many different options there are for some of these things. And it's like, okay, you don't need it. You don't need it. Fine. Um, I'm wondering like, did, you know, does, does this get a, a, uh, a shout out of the documentation? Like, does this even, does anybody even know that this exists? Yeah, a year from now, that there's this custom mutex thing. Like, did they write? You know, did they write something for the documentation that says that this exists, or is it really only for people who are source diving and like, I wonder if there's a way to create a custom mutex? Oh, yep, there it is. You know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's hard, hard to hard to say, really. Hard to say, hard to say. Okay, moving on. All right, the next up we have here. I'm not going to go through all of these because some of these deals may have lapsed now. And some of them are still running. So choose your own adventure with this one. This is the Black Friday deals. I know we're a little bit later than we would have been usually. But if you haven't seen this and there are still some running, definitely check it out. Um, there are things in here for uh, Lara Jobs, Laravel Nova, Dev Dojo, Serverless Laravel, a whole bunch of stuff from Beyond Code. Chris Fidel, Fidelifer has got a whole swag of... of uh, Sales on service for hackers and cloudcast. There's Sparsi and their. I mean, did, did people see the videos that Sparsi put out for their funny. worldwide? Uh, was it Sparsi discounts? Sparsi discount day. Very, yeah. very creative. Well done to the team over there. Um, JVAC has got stuff out. West Boss, Caliposio, Philo Hermans, and a whole bunch more stuff. Yeah, we were we're a little bit late because you know Thanksgiving kind of sends everything into turmoil. And my favorite TV shows didn't air. Oh, over the no. weekend because of thank like surely Thanksgiving is a time to sit down and watch TV shows with your friends and family but no apparently not so yeah check all that out if there's stuff still there take advantage of it if not then there's always next year always next year indeed okay we've got some packages here to talk about the first one we have is a Laravel blade flags package this allows you to easily display countries and languages flags in your Laravel blade views. When you have a, a project that needs to, to, I don't know, like, so if you do internationalization on your site, a lot of times in the top right corner, you'll have something like language and they can click that 
and you have all the different languages displayed. The, the problem with that is, and if you think about this, if I'm on a site and it's in German, for example, and I click the language dropdown tab or I see a little flag up in the corner, I know my brain knows that's probably a language tab. Mm. I can click that. And I don't know what English is in German. I don't know. I don't know what the word is for English in German, but I can see the little American flag and I know, oh, that's me. That's my country. I click that and then everything translates to English, right? We've gone back and forth on this with a couple of other projects that I've worked on. So what the, what the team that I was working with ended up doing actually is they ended up translating all of the strings for the language into the language that it was, it was for. So you know what I mean? So you'd have like, you know, 20, yeah. 20 different languages on there, which is a good way to do it. But if you don't want to go through all that trouble, then you could just use the little flag as well. That works fine. So mm-hmm. these are nice little blade components when you have a project meeting to display various country flags. You can look for SVG or JavaScript component icons, but this package has your back if you're using Blade as you can render flags as components. So you just do X-flag-country dash and then the abbreviation for the country. So like BR for Brazil, CN for China, GB for Great Britain, RU for Russia, US for United States, etc. And then you can also pass as another attribute, a class attribute, right? So those those values will get passed down to that blade component and will affect the, the styling of that particular uh, flag there. So x-flag-country-us class equals width six, height six, and it'll just go ahead and modify that for you. You can also with this publish the SVGs that ship with the package uh, and then just use the asset helper to pull those in to a image tag. Uh, so image tag source equals asset vendor blade flags country dash us dot svg. So you can use them that way as well. This also is backed by the blade UI kit, which is a set of rudderless components that you can use in your Laravel blade views, which is really nice as well. And I believe that is maintained by Dries Vince or created mm-hmm. by Dries Vince. So yep. yeah, good stuff. All right. That's that one. Well, folks, I am no Segway master like my friend Michael Dorinda over here, uh, but I do like honey. And who doesn't, right? Honey's great. And today we're going to talk about Honey Badger. Honey Badger is an amazing error tracking service that has sponsored the show for a long time. And let's face it, even if you're a really, really good developer, like myself, like Michael, that was so that was so arrogant, wasn't it? It's true though. Even code written by an amazing developer such as yourself, when errors happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. They make you a DevOps hero by combining error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and check-in monitoring into one single easy-to-use platform. They send you alerts in real time with all the context that you need in order to see what's causing the error in your application and where that error is hiding so you can quickly fix that error and get on with developing that amazing new feature that you're working on. It also includes uptime and cron monitoring so that you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. So you can go to honeybadger.io and discover how the team star Josh and Ben created a 100% bootstrapped monitoring solution. No venture capital overloads, 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 overlords. Why is this important? Self-funding this project means that they only answer to you, the developer. So go check them out, honeybadger.io. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show, folks. Beautiful. Uh, tutorials. We talked, we spoke about Steve McDougall at the top of the show and his immense energy for writing these things. And this may be, this may be pulling, pulling back the curtain on some of our secrets, but Steve is going to be doing some 
video tutorials and live streams in the coming weeks, months. So Indeed he is. Keep an eye out for that. It's exciting to see him get behind the camera again. But for now, we have five different tutorials across a range of different Laravel-related topics. The first being valid validators validating data. Lots of valid validating, validating, validating in there. So this is a tutorial that he's put together talking about some of the different approaches that that Steve takes in terms of validation, whether using the validate method on the controller or if you're using form requests and how you might progress through those different steps using the validate method, using request validate, using form requests directly and, and how that can sort of help tidy up your application controllers. So definitely check that one out. There is also your first Laravel 9 application, which is a whirlwind tour, a refresh of a 2021 post talking about getting your terminal set up, getting PHP 8 installed, getting Composer installed, getting NPM installed, literally a from scratch um, tutorial on how to get everything set up on a, a new computer if you're, if you're doing this for the first time, even getting Laravel installed, getting everything up and running and getting basically to the, the hello world of a Laravel application, which is always um, surprisingly, you know, you and I being more experienced, you know, you don't really think of this, but there are always people coming in to the ecosystem, coming into PHP, Mm -hmm. programming for the first time. There are children, children grow (laughs) up and then they say, I'm going to become a programmer. Like it's true. Everyone, people, people through COVID that went through, you know, change of career and things like that. These things are always useful. So definitely check that out. There's a tutorial on fun with refactoring where um, Steve has taken the Laravel Shift Blueprint project and gone through some code paths in there to to refactor the code, to tidy it up a little bit, to see what the you know red-green refactor cycle looks like. And if you don't know what red-green refactor is, it's you know, you're writing a test that fails, you make that test pass, and then you refactor the code and follow through that process until you, you know, you're happy with what you've got. Um, there is this one was a little bit controversial, I think. There was a bit of hubbub about this one, but this is creating a password generator. Now, not to be used in production, it's it's sort of like a quote unquote secure password generator. Um, if you if you don't look too deeply into like the deep security stuff around it, this is sort of showing you not so much re- remove yourself from the example and kind of think about the process that Steve goes through and and what he talks about and the the kind of things that he does there to get it sort of your head around what we're trying to achieve there. Um, and the last one, and this is this is a favorite of mine at the moment, using DTOs to keep context mm. and, and going into using DTOs. So he's called them domain transfer objects. So I'm going to knock him, knock him there on that one. Um, data, data transfer objects can be used for so much. Since PHP 8 was released, creating these fantastic classes in your projects has never been easier. You can use, especially now with like PHP 8.0, Two, now that that's right around the corner, we'll be able to use like read-only classes and things like that with read-only properties as well to, to really tidy these things up. Um, and having that stuff at sort of the language level makes things, you know, really robust and and quick and things like that as well. So definitely check this out. Um, he does talk about this in the context of PHP 8.2 um, and, and sort of what that looked like, you know, before PHP 8 and in the current versions of PHP 8 and, and then, you know, looking to the future of, of PHP 8.2 as well. So definitely check that out. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading through. I read through the validators one. I'm reading through the um, the DTOs one. They're really good. <laughs> really, really good. Um, 
I love reading some of this stuff. And there's a lot of good tips in here too. Like he talks about the Laravel bootcamp. He talks about this object design style guide by Matthias Novak. So he's just got a lot of good tips in here as well as the content inside of the tutorials themselves. So thank you, Steve, again. Um, and uh, we need some more Paul Redmond in our life right now for this one because we don't we didn't have a lot of packages this time around. So, hey, it's the holidays, though, like you said. It's like your favorite shows aren't on. Like my favorite packages aren't included in this show, but that's okay. Maybe I should contribute a little bit more, huh? Talk about some of the packages that we've been using on our side of things. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Maybe. All right, folks. Well, hey, that wraps us up for episode 191. This is a short one. So, uh, you know, you're going to have to finish your run by listening to some true crime podcast or, you know, our other podcast, North Meet South. Check us out over there, too, if you care to. You can find show notes for this episode at Laravel, uh, sorry, podcast laravel news slash 181 hit us up on twitter at jacob bennett and michael dorinda or at laravel news and if you would rate us up in your podcatcher of choice five stars would be much appreciated so next time folks we'll see you later bye bro